1: everybody. Hi. From our homes to yours, yes. we say hello. It's hello. Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One
2: Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hi. And I'm Sabrina. And we're starting book club again.
1: We are. I mean, well, we have a suggestion for those who are running the Two Girls, One Ghost book club group yeah because we have a book we want to read <laughs> <laughs> so it's a suggestion but like also we're we're doing it so
2: if you want to we're trying to hijack the group <laughs> so if you guys want to join in again and start this back up we are gonna read the turn of the key by ruth ware recommended by mick right she recommended it multiple people recommended it to me because i posted that i read the lion game on my mm-hmm. Instagram. And multiple people were messaging. We're like, oh, have you read The Turn of the Key? It kind of reminds me of like a haunted house type of story with a murder mystery. Obviously, I was in. And then Crin and I, before recording this, we're like, should we start reading books together and talk about them?
1: Yeah, because we always talk about our own book clubs that we have going on. But you and I were both like, we want something dark and no one's reading dark <laughs> with us right now. If you're in, we're going to start
2: this. We're going to do it. Maybe we give ourselves, well, what what is it now? It's beginning of, oh my God, it's the beginning of May.
1: It's gonna be my I wonder what Justin Timberlake is doing. You know what I wonder I wonder what Nate and Jeremiah from HGTV are doing. That's my they're my new obsession. Don't know them. I was like, who are you talking about? Once you start, you can't stop.
2: I don't see. I like I like the idea of those shows. But it's it's the same thing that I feel about any reality show. It just feels like I should be doing something else with my time.
1: Okay. I agree, but I will tell you that Nate and Jeremiah are different. And I think that they would be friends with us because Jeremiah is definitely into the spiritual world. He sages like all of the homes after they remodel them. Oh, he's very into that. And then they have two children and one of their kids is named Poppy. She's like, I think five now, but in one of the episodes, they were telling her that they were moving from LA to New York. They were basically trying to explain like, Well, we're going to stay here. And she was like, well, who's going to live in our house now? And they're like, we're going to give it to someone else and they're going to live in the house. And most kids would probably get upset. But she started cracking up and she goes, is that what people do? And I was (laughs) like, this chick is an old soul. I'm convinced Poppy lived in like 1910, was reincarnated. And now she's like, wait, is this what people do? Because we didn't trade homes back then. I love it. Yeah, it's great. And now I'm remodeling my childhood bedroom. (laughs) That's a good pastime. Yeah. Can I tell you, actually, it's been really rough. There were a lot of tears. So this is not my house. And so I shouldn't be so controlling over the space that I'm in. But my childhood bedroom just didn't feel like the vibes I wanted it to feel. And so I asked my parents if I could basically like redo it all. And they, of course, said no. (laughs) Because why would they let me get rid of all the furniture and start anew? So they said No. And so the next day I was like, you know what? That's fine. I'm just going to redecorate and I'm going to move my furniture around a different way, better feng shui, better energy. So I moved my dresser. That worked. I moved a couple other things. Those things worked. And then I went to move my bed and I immediately broke. I immediately broke it. You broke it. Broke it. Like the headboard, big, sturdy wood headboard just straight up splintered and cracked off of the bed frame. And I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, it's gonna, I look so guilty because just yesterday I said, can I get a new bed? And they said no. And then I broke it. <laughs> I felt like such a small child because my parents came up because I was like, ah, g- can you guys, uh, I broke my bed. Can you come here? <laughs> and they come in and I just, I didn't make any explanation. I just said, don't yell at me. And I started crying. <laughs> oh my gosh. You reverted back to childhood. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) And then I was like, how does it feel to have a child that's almost 30 and, like, cries
2: like this? It's so funny, like, when you go home, how easy it is to just
1: revert back to that. Yeah. Something's coming out of all of us in these times. Yeah.
2: My childhood bedroom was hot pink. And I'm pretty sure I, like, plastered images of topless men (laughs) on the wall. Because I, like, thought that was, like, the cool, like thing to do
1: most people say shirtless men but the fact that you said topless men makes it (laughs) seem so much more scandalous and i'm here for it like mm, shouldn't be staring at these nipples
2: (laughs) i think i just like found like a center like you know centerfold what is this playboy kind (laughs) of apparently (laughs) i mean my room was hot pink i don't know i think i found like a 17 magazine with just like a bunch of random guys that like You know, when you're young, you're like, I don't have a type. Boys are just hot. So
1: I just Mm -hmm. plastered them all on the wall. Oh my gosh. I wonder, I wish they would, someone would find those boys and do like a, where are they now? (laughs) You first saw them in J14. Where are they today? I don't want to know. Because I totally, yeah, I don't want to know. I don't want to be sad. No. You remember who your first, well, I think we've talked about this. We did. Who your first (laughs) (laughs) non-cartoon crush was.
2: Oh my god, wait, Corinne, I have to tell you, I was playing trivia. One of our friends, like, for his birthday, set up, like, a whole trivia game on Zoom. And so we were playing trivia, and then it was, one section was masked cartoon characters. And you had to, like, mm-hmm. guess the name of them. And there was one, It was the last one, we, like, didn't know who it was. And some girl goes, oh my god, he was my first crush. And I was like, it's Danny Phantom. <laughs> because, was it? No, it wasn't. Oh, but I was shoot. like, <laughs> if someone had a crush on it, it reminds me of Corinne. It's gotta be Danny Phantom.
1: I mean sweet, I'm really curious then who it was the other cartoon was. Was I missing out on my childhood crush? Maybe. It was a guy
2: from Sailor Moon. What was his name?
1: Oh, I don't know.
2: Anyway, I think about you all the time is basically what I'm trying to say.
1: Thanks. Well I already told you I think about you every time I shower, so
2: (laughs) Wow, real scandalous. We're both pretty scandalous.
1: We're both here just living in your Playboy mansion back in Jersey. Ugh, miss it. Now when I go home I like don't have a
2: bedroom where do you sleep? Well, I kind of, I'm like, I rotate. So it's a, sometimes I'll sleep on the futon. Sometimes I'll sleep in my mom's bed, but I get weird because my mom has like, sometimes like has boyfriends and I don't want to like sleep in her bed. Cause I'm like, uh, I don't know. I said too much there anyway, but then, <laughs> <laughs> but it's how I feel
1: express yourself.
2: <laughs> and then if my sister's not home, I can sleep in that room. But then my cat's not allowed in there because her boyfriend's allergic. So it's very, I should basically just sleep outside.
1: If he was really allergic to cats,
2: then how can he even be
1: in the house in general? Oh, it's very, very difficult for him. They don't
2: live there. But when he comes to
1: visit, it's very hard. Yeah. See, I think I'd be like pitching a tent outside. Like, see, you got, like, come visit me in the backyard. I can't go inside. (laughs) Well, that's basically, you'll be sleeping outside with me
2: because that's what I do too. (laughs) Honestly, I'd rather do that than the basement. The basement's too scary. Hell yeah. The basement is too scary. It always is. I'm trying to find a picture of the Sailor Moon guy to send to you.
1: Send me pics of hot guys.
2: Sailor Moon hot guy. (laughs) That's what I'm searching.
1: (laughs) Oh, wait. It actually came up. Oh, my gosh. Okay. He is kind of cute. Not to bring up TikTok again. I feel like such a grandma when I'm like, how do I figure out TikTok? Guys, I have to tell you, though, that there was a trend going around on TikTok that was like, post your weird childhood crushes and there was one that i was cracking up at this girl's like first crush was it was the elf from the tim allen christmas movie santa claus yes it's just called santa claus i think and do you remember there was that elf and he like basically has like really dark hair and it's like a perm and it's basically like matted to his
2: head i don't think i remember that
1: oh well okay you sent me a picture of the hot guy from sailor moon i'll send you a picture of the
2: elf i just sent you it I mean, we all know who my first crush was. It was Malfoy. Such a good one.
1: Such a good one. Well, you know, as much as we want to keep talking about our childhood pasts and our crushes, we're really here to talk about the hauntings that exist throughout the world. Maybe in your very own town, because we're talking about haunted towns. Or maybe not in your town, and a town
2: that you've never even heard of, but we're going to tell you about it anyway, because they're cool.
1: Town of your dreams. It didn't make sense, but do you ever, sorry, now I'm going to go on another tangent. (laughs) Do you ever have like the same cities or houses or like apartments that exist in your dreams that like throughout the years you always somehow randomly come back to, but they don't exist in real life? Maybe they do exist in real life. You just haven't found them yet,
2: but yes, not necessarily the towns, but there is one house for sure. And I think it's inspired by Flowers in the Attic. But it's this really weird, like I've had the same dream multiple times and it's like the same house, the same kind of like maze in the backyard with like a trap door where people are being held and I've gotten stuck in and I have to try to escape from it and someone's chasing me. That's the only one I can really remember.
1: It's interesting that yours is like a scary dream. My dreams are all different, but for some reason the setting will be the same. Like there's one yeah. restaurant that I've now gone to like three times over the past eight years. I've, oh God, there's this apartment complex out on the water. And your balcony backs up to the water. It's on a lake. And then there's like a, a little tiny like lip for you to put like kayaks and stuff. What? Paddleboards. It's a dream. I got to find this place. I bet it exists. Or it did exist
2: and you lived in it in a past life.
1: Well, I can't afford it. I've already looked up the rent like so many times in my dream. So In your dream. I Oh, yeah. Constantly searching for this
2: place. <laughs> this is great. Can I afford it yet? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I just imagine it's like Sims in your
1: dreams with that same property. You're being like chased through a maze by bad guys. And I'm like, I'm still poor. (laughs) Two different versions of a nightmare. Oh, gosh. Well, towns. But towns. Towns. For all the people that don't like our banter, they are like really, really hating us right now. We could start putting time codes if we want. Yeah. I mean, here's a clue for everybody. Between 10 and 15 minutes, that's usually how much we talk in the beginning. Sometimes 20. Yeah, but not often. So just skip ahead if you don't like it. It's only about 10 minutes is a good time code. I
2: will say it probably takes just as much time to go into our show notes to find the time code to skip ahead to as it does to just start skipping ahead.
1: Perhaps. Just hang out with us, guys, please. Or don't. I don't care. Or don't. But we're here to talk about haunted towns. Sabrina, I have no idea who goes first. I do, I think. You go? I'm pretty sure because prisons i
2: think you went first because i needed to hear your story
1: oh yes 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 you're yeah. right so let's oh, do it we got some hand movements some dancing hands. going on um, um, dancing. i'm also
2: dripping with sweat because it's very hot in los angeles and i had to close the windows to record so i am hotboxing myself basically inside my bedroom <laughs> <laughs> Sound smoke Sound smoke it's just heat okay I'm really excited. I feel like I say this every time. I just, I get like so jazzed about research. Ooh,
0: I'm a nerd.
2: Call me a nerd. (laughs) You're a nerd. Thank you. This is a town in New York. It's called Lilydale. And I know the topic was haunted towns. I kind of like went off beat because I like to march to the beat of my own drum. Do your thing. I read about this town a while back and I was like, what? This is so cool. I had never heard of it. I didn't even know this existed. And so while Lilydale isn't necessarily haunted, basically all of the residents who live in the town are, basically every single one of them are haunted. And how, how does that happen? Yeah. Well, it's because the entire town is a community of psychics.
1: Ah! How what? do we get a letter to live in that town? Forget
2: Hogwarts. Honestly, it's actually very difficult to get into this town. I was looking at it. The real estate is very cheap, but you have to be a member of the Lilydale assembly which is like a spiritualist community and you have to like interview you have to get references it's very difficult and you have to also like you don't have to be a psychic per se but you have to be practicing spiritualism and developing skills i
1: can i can do that we can live that life i don't think i could but i'd love to visit i'll come visit you okay you can come visit me pitch a tent in my backyard
2: oh i was gonna say can i put my my hot boys up on my wall in your guest room?
1: Actually, fun fact, I'm pretty sure I brought a few of
2: those boys with me to college and put them on my ceiling above my bunked bed. <laughs> oh my God. And that is how I landed Nick, took him back to my dorm room and he was like, "Ooh, you got good taste. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Seventeen magazine, like trifold, basically. OK, so oh.
2: this town is located in southwestern New York. Its name is Lilydale, but it's not necessarily a town. And a fun fact that I learned in my research, it's actually a hamlet, which I learned is a subsidiary of a community inside of a town. So it basically runs as if it's its own town, but it isn't recognized as a town, if that makes sense. Okay, yep. Lilydale Dale is a very tranquil, and the residents are all members of the Lilydale Assembly, which is the largest spiritualist community that was formed to promote the open-ended exploration of extraordinary states of consciousness, such as mesmerism and mediumship. And on the website, Lilydale is described as a Victorian-era community, quiet and close-knit, with approximately 169 leaseholds located in a three-mile walking radius, and they're surrounded by 144 acres of registered old-growth forest, adjacent to the Casadaga Lakes region. Wait, maybe this is where your dream apartment is.
1: hmm that would be so weird. Okay, you keep talking, I'm gonna look it up. I don't think it is, but it is cute and quaint.
2: The residents enjoy walks on the woodland trails, kayaking, fishing, and swimming at the beach, and participating in the exploration of spiritualism. They have several year-round churches, a healing temple, Wednesday night services, working communities, home circles, a monthly Sunday brunch, and daily gatherings at the post office. Sounds nice. It does sound nice. It's a self-proclaimed fun and festive place to dwell in the summer camp season, and there are endless possibilities to engage in the active faith of spiritualism. Residents are encouraged to follow their own path and be as active or serene as desired. And the year-round population is only about like 200 people, period.
1: <gasps> wow. So everyone
2: knows each other really well, and everyone has to be a member in good standing of Lilydale Assembly. Almost everyone who lives in the town is a medium or psychic in some capacity, or related to a medium or psychic. In a way, the town is basically filled with haunted people, making it a
1: haunted town. I'm dying to just see what their block parties look like.
2: Well, you can, because every summer they have a camp, like a summer camp. Well, actually, you can go all year round, but then they have like a, a very busy summer season where the population, instead of the 200, becomes like, they have like 20,000 visitors in the summer or something like that. What? Yeah. And they have like all these different activities and speakers that come and you can go to mediums and get readings. It's just like they have so many events. If you look on their website and look at the events, it looks amazing and so unreal.
1: I wonder if they do like matchmaking ceremonies. Ooh. I know when I was in Ireland, they were talking about this one little tiny town that does this like huge one time every single year they have like this matchmaker love festival. Isn't that what Shit's Creek based that episode off of? Oh, did they?
2: Probably. I think Alexis says they do in Ireland, they do this thing and then she's like, I'm going to do it here.
1: Yeah, well, it's a real thing. I learned about it when I was there. And I was like, "Oh god, that sounds so cool. Like even if you weren't really there to to be like, okay, I'm looking for a suitor. I just want to see what it would be like." And who better than a bunch of psychics who are in mm-hmm. touch with energies and vibes to be like, you too. Um we should discuss with them.
2: We should bring it to the board of the Lilydale Assembly.
1: Okay, include it in our application.
2: The town didn't always exist. Of course, something spurred its existence. In order to understand that, we must start in the mid-1800s with a man named Jeremiah Carter. If you go to the town, his portrait adorns the churches and offices of Lilydale because without him, the town would not be. So it was the winter of 1844 and Jeremiah Carter was having some health issues and he sought treatment from a doctor who was from Vermont, Corinne. This doctor was using mesmerism as a health treatment. And so when the doctor performed his techniques on Jeremiah, he was amazed when Jeremiah became entranced and began spewing messages and like showing all these abilities and he was communicating with the other side. They basically like formed this relationship and were like, you have a really special ability. Let's see if we can harness it and use it and speak to the other side and learn and get messages. Yeah. And so they started performing together or like doing experiments in front of the groups and locals of the town Leona, New York. And all these people were just like so mesmerized by how transcendent Jeremiah Carter was and like how much knowledge he had that he wouldn't have had otherwise, unless he was communicating with the other side. Basically that's like group formed and they started calling themselves spiritualists. By 1855, the religious society of free thinking was formed and Jeremiah Carter developed his abilities and began hearing spirit voices and in 1873, these spirits that spoke to him urged him to walk, and he followed their path to Casadaga, to a farm called Alden Farm. Luckily for him, the owner of Alden Farm was also a spiritualist in his group. Jeremiah goes to his friend and is like, hey, the spirits have told me to use this ground. Can we use it to like practice our faith and use this as like a meeting ground? The Alden farm owner was like, yes, let's do it. Let's host like a big meeting every June, every summer on the farm. And eventually over time, Carter and the Religious Society of Freethinkers actually purchased the land from Alden and cleared it for a people's camp meeting. And then over time later, it was renamed to the Casadaga Lake Free Association. And then over more time, slowly started to develop into a small settlement of 37 acres People started moving there and living there, and it became a community for free thinkers, for forward momentum, and a home for the suffragette movement, which is so cool because Susan B. Anthony herself, the homegirl, she frequented the community, the OG wow. woman's movement leader. Like, huh. Susan B. Anthony loved the society. She came. She spoke. She thought of Lily Dale as this, like, beautiful space to that, that cultivated and harnessed a forward momentum for women and, like... Freedom of speech and like all of these amazing historical moments. She wrote that the spiritualists of Lily Dale eat of the bread the world knows not of. So she even acknowledged that the people who lived in this town had this strong ability and connection to the other side, which I think is so fascinating and so cool. So cool. And if you're like interested in historical photos, anyone our listeners or Ukraine, there are some really, really cool photos of Susan B. Anthony speaking to crowds. At this like community summer camp every summer and just like her standing in the middle of all these other women who are all psychics. it's really cool.
1: Also, how amazing that the Northeast and really all over the world, a few centuries ago, there was like the whole witchcraft scare and all of these people had been executed and mm-hmm. tried and murdered and tortured for practicing something that would or not even doing anything at all, as we know. But right The fact that this can exist is Uh amazing. Yeah. And
2: that it was like such a strong community and Mm kind of known all over the place. So it's very cool. I think Susan B. Anthony spoke there three times total, but then visited frequently. In 1881, the community decided to host a summer camp devoted to the ongoing exploration of mediumship. And the camp has been running ever since and has grown exponentially. So like I said, where the year-round population is 200- The summer brings upwards of 22,000 people.
1: Okay, so the summer camp is not just for children, right? Adults can attend? Correct. It's just, it's, I think it's just the term that it's, that
2: they call it, but it's, I think, primarily adults. In 1903, Casadaga Camp was renamed the City of Light in homage to the electrification of the United States. And then in 1906 was renamed to the Lilydale Assembly. And then the town garnered more notoriety and fame with the growth of spiritualism from the 1840s to the 1920s. And it's often accredited to the Fox sisters who, if you remember them, they were like the mm. OG yep. table talkers. I can't remember the correct terminology, but yeah, they were here like the knocks and stuff and then communicate right. with the paranormal. And then they were, they were like really young and then they were like taken away from their parents and then kind of sent all around the world to perform. If you remember at the very end of it all, the Fox sisters became really, really poor and... I think they got paid like $1,200 or something like that in order to like come out and say that everything was a lie, even though it wasn't, but they just like needed the money. So they came out and said it was all a lie. So basically when the Fox sisters all passed away, the house that they had originally grown up in the Fox cottage, which was originally in Hydesville, which is not very far away from Lilydale, was moved and relocated into Lilydale in 1916, which helped attract all these people to Lilydale Cause they're like, Oh, we want to see the Fox cottage house.
1: I'm trying to follow along by, I pulled up a map Uh of, and it has all of the, like, you know, like when you go to like Disney or something and it'll be like, yeah, and here's this ride and here's that ride and here's the bathrooms. It's that type of map and it says the Fox Cottage and Meditation Garden.
2: Yeah. How nice does that sound? It's amazing because, well, okay. So unfortunately in, I think like 40 years after it was relocated, the Fox Cottage burnt to the ground and everything Mm. in the house burnt except for the fox family bible which is now on display at the Lilydale museum and now in place of where the house was or the cottage was they built a memorial garden which is like the meditation garden and it is beautiful if you look at photos it's really really pretty basically the people of Lilydale always believed the fox sisters and wanted to memorialize them and make sure that they were held to the standard that they should have been their careers ended pretty tragically and their reputations were kind of like pushed through the mud at the end there hmm so the people of lilydale were like no they're amazing we're gonna make sure that they get what they deserve and hold them to a high standard because that's how amazing yeah. they were yeah so today lilydale is one of the most important sites for spiritualism there are more than 50 registered mediums in the town and they receive messages from the spirit world using various methods such as seeing or hearing spirits receiving mental impressions or thoughts or by physical and emotional contact and every summer, like I said, the town hosts a camp of sorts hosting well-known lecturers and hands-on courses, ceremonies, healing sessions, intensives, and so much more. And I'm pretty sure everyone who comes to the summer camp is staged before like, entering the space. Mm. During the summer season, there's a entrance fee required, which I think it's $15. But once you pay that $15, you can go into any of the activities. But then year-round, it's free and open to the public. They said that you can't like just walk in and get and go find a medium to give you a reading or anything. You have to like pre-schedule it way in advance.
1: Well, and I'm sure too, it's such a tiny town and I'm sure that they rely on the summer season and these events to basically carry them through the whole rest of the year. Yeah.
2: They have these really cute, if you look them up, like small, tiny little bed and breakfasts that
1: look so quaint. Oh, so cute. They also have a campground, and I'm looking at the map, and the campground is right next to the pet cemetery and the inspiration stump. Well, thank you for the transition because I was going to start talking about that very pet cemetery. Ooh!
2: Because among the grounds is America's oldest pet cemetery. It's the Lilydale Pet Cemetery, the oldest.
1: No way! Originally,
2: originally created in 1900s or in 1900. And apparently, the story goes, and this is kind of sad, but. They used horses in the town to keep the grounds running, and during the winter months, they would have the horses haul ice out of the lake to store for the warmer months. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, on February 13th, 1900, one of their beloved horses, Topsy, tragically fell through the ice and drowned. And after retrieving Topsy's body from the lake, the townspeople buried him in the Loyolan woods, and shortly after, others began to memorialize their own beloved pets and animals in the same area, because... All these psychics and all the people living in the Laydale really, truly treasured the animals there. And they felt like intrinsically connected to them and felt a spiritual connection to them. And also said and claimed that many of the pets there also had psychic abilities, which I'm very curious about. I couldn't find anything else on that, but I think that's cool. They felt like burying them close to their owners and close to them would enable them to still communicate with their loved pets. In 2012, the town decided to no longer bury any new pets in the cemetery in order to keep the surrounding forest pristine. But instead, people were encouraged to leave markers to remember their pets. And every year on July 26th, the town celebrates Lilydale Pet Remembrance with the ceremony. Another really cool thing that the town is known for and famous for is the creation of many precipitated paintings, which are basically paintings that are made without any human intervention. And I had never heard of this before, but they're created during seances. So during a seance, whoever's leading the seance will place an empty canvas on an easel with paint nearby and no brushes. And then the medium who hosts the seance will like be transcending and speaking with the other side. They have the person who they're having the seance for imagine their loved one or the deceased person they're trying to contact. As they're doing that, the painting will start to develop in front of their eyes and it will take like 15 to 90 minutes and a portrait of that person will be created.
1: Wait, who's holding the paintbrush? No one. No one. What? Oh my
2: God. And it's amazing because there have been many experts who have tried to study, figure out the answer to these paintings. But what astounds them every time is that there are zero brushstrokes. Like they just don't exist. So it doesn't look like they were using a paintbrush at all. This is like, The best thing you've ever told me. (laughs) It's so cool. And there are two mediums in Lilydale who are best known for their precipitated paintings. They were the Campbell brothers, Alan B. Campbell and Charles Shrouds, who, very misleading name, were not related by blood or brothers at all by any means, but they were just friends who lived together in Lilydale and (laughs) called themselves brothers. I don't know. They lived together in Lilydale in 1898, and they manifested one of the most famous spirit paintings of a spirit guide named Azur. So if you look up precipitated paintings Azure, it's their painting that comes up. So the session was conducted in a room that contained sufficient amount of light for all those who were witnessing to see it. They made sure that the canvas had nothing on it before. Like they had experts come to study them and make sure it was like completely blank canvas. They had tons of people there to make sure that the canvas was not switched during the seance. And people were also encouraged to place their initials on the back of the canvas so that like after it was done, they could see it was the same canvas. And so during the process, the guests witnessed the gradual development of the painting on the canvas, and it was completed in an hour and 30 minutes. Still to this day, like skeptics can't discredit it. They try and they said, like, there must be some trick, but no one can come up with a logical explanation for how it's happening.
1: Oh, I am dying to see this. Isn't it so cool? Yes. It's amazing. I know. I don't
2: think that have I don't think they do that in Lilydale anymore. They don't do as many séances or any anymore because there's maybe more of a bad rep with séances than there have been in the past and they just don't want to dabble in the darkness type of thing.
1: Yeah. Easy to misuse. The exactly. Exactly. Situation. So, all the people and
2: residents of Lilydale possess strong spiritual abilities, but also the land itself is said to as well. So, the nearby Leolan Woods are said to contain a psychic energy vortex. And that's the energy that Jeremiah Carter's spirit guide led him to. And that's the reason Lily Dale was formed there is because his spirit guides were like, this is a very powerful place and it will help anyone who comes here and lives here harness their abilities and get stronger connections to the other side. Wow. There's the pet cemetery in the forest. And there's also something called the inspiration stump, which is a tree stump in the center of the vortex where the seances in the past used to be held People say that there's something about that spot. When you go to that specific spot, it just feels very, very powerful. And there's like an energy shift there. Then there's the healing temple of Lilydale, which was built in 1955. And the location that it was built is upon the same land where Osakonatan, who was a Mohawk leader, once set up his healing tent. And it's said that healers who work in the temple can harness Osakonatan's energies to this day when they're healing. So it's kind of like he's coming through. And today there are very, very few psychic towns left. So aside from Lilydale, the other most prominent town is Casadaga, Florida, which is an offshoot of Lilydale. So I think back in the 1900s, early 1900s, there were a group of people in Lilydale who decided to relocate to Florida and started their own community there. The locals say that it's not a ghost town. They don't have many ghosts, but they're all about everyone coming in, getting to know yourself Connecting to the other side and getting messages. So it's a very, very very peaceful place. It's not like a dark, scary, haunted place. It's all about like harmony and healing. I think they promote healing a lot.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so
2: amazing. They offer massages, acupuncture, yoga, sweat lodges, (gasps) and like hands-on healing at church services. Like Reiki? I'm sure. But yeah, so they said their focal points are mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual healing.
1: This is my dream commune.
2: I know. I feel like you would. This is like how you always say you're going to go disappear into the woods and live out in the woods. Like, this is where you would live.
1: I'll be at Lilydale, guys, if they will have me.
2: They say to book your appointment in advance, Lilydale's official season is from the second to last Friday in June through Labor Day weekend. And like I said, you pay $15 to enter the gated community, but then you can just do whatever you want from there on out. And then they have healing temples and spiritual energy healings that take place twice a day in the summer's and there's also a documentary about the town and its residents on HBO, or I think it's on Amazon Prime, but it's called No One Dies in Dale, And it's just like a firsthand experience, like all of the residents talking about their experiences in Lilydale, their abilities and messages that they get from the other side. And if you look on TripAdvisor, too, there's just like so many beautiful reviews of people going to the town and just getting like having very spiritual experiences and getting answers from their loved ones. It just seems like such a beautiful place.
1: I have to watch that and look up all the reviews now. I know. Beautiful and loving and That's very
2: serene. Yeah.
1: It kind of reminds me of a fairy tale.
2: Yeah. Well, there is a trail called Fairy Trail. There we go. Maybe there are fairies there. (laughs) Uh, That's Lily Dale.
1: (laughs) I would go. We should go. I think this is my top top place that I want to go to at the
2: moment. Because it's not scary, which is very strange for me to have done, but I just It's one of those things that, I don't know, just knowing that that this exists in the world makes me happy and feels like, okay, there's something right with the world.
1: And I feel like it's an experience. You'd walk around and you'd leave that day or after that weekend and just feel so rejuvenated. Mm -hmm. Let's go. We've got to check it out.
2: Yeah. And they've had like really great speakers there as well. I'm pretty sure like well-known psychics and mediums go and visit and do speeches during the summers. I'll
1: be looking up their uh, summer schedule. Something to look forward to something to look forward to. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. I'm excited to hear what you picked. Well, it's funny because I've had it on the list for quite a long time. And you might recognize the name because I actually mentioned it just for a, a blip, a quick second on episode 120 while discussing the chapel in San Francisco, which used to ship all of its bodies to Colma. I'm doing the city of Colma. Oh, is this going to be scary? It's a little scary. It's more just like... Whoa, what did I just see? What? (gasps) (laughs) Oh! Turn my head away from the computer for a second and I saw a wispy, white, floaty thing. No! Heading on by, like, many wisps. It was almost like, I don't know, can't describe it, just many wisps. That's the first mid-recording thing that's happened in a very long time. Well, now we see how I actually react to paranormal activity. Oh, what is that? Well, well, it's it's nice because it's um wasn't as scary as most experiences. So. It's here for the show. It's just here. It's just hanging
2: out. Interesting. We're basically doing a live show right now, Corinne.
1: Yeah. Well, so I did the city of Colma. Colma is a small town in San Mateo County in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it was founded back in 1924 as a necropolis. Oh. Which means if I looked it up for everybody – it is a cemetery especially a large one belonging to an ancient city wow so it's in the san francisco area which is not ancient but yeah i was going to say not that ancient <laughs> no <laughs> san francisco very new in comparison to pretty much history of the world yeah of everywhere This town was essentially built, though, to house dead bodies, in a sense. Wow. It was nicknamed the City of the Silent, and its slogan, which is on its website, if you want to look up the the City of Colma website, the slogan is, It's great to be alive in Colma. (laughs) I love that they have a good sense of humor. I know, I know. That's amazing. Woke up on the right side of the grass today. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So before Colma was officially founded... It has a community of living residents. It once was for the living, not necessarily housing all the dead. (laughs) And in the early 1800s, there were a few homes, there were a few small businesses. Colma was a very convenient spot. It was along the El Camino Real, which is a, a big, long road that runs along the coast. And then it was also alongside the San Francisco and San Jose Railroad Line. So super convenient to just get everywhere and And have businessmen and people come and like visit your town. So Mm -hmm. soon churches started popping up and the community founded its own fire district. They were like, yes, we're gonna make it as a town. (laughs) And then they started in agriculture and they were like, yes, we love plants. And then in the early 1900s, the town got its first treasurer and the town just like really started to boom. There were... Boxing matches held there, numerous events that would bring people into the town, and the town was just like really making a name for itself. Wow. Then, in the year 1900, San Francisco outlawed new interments within the city limits. They were completely overwhelmed with the amount of people who needed to be buried and kept in a cemetery. The bubonic plague hit. It killed over 100 people. And then on top of that, in 1906, the earthquake hit, it caused mass destruction, fires, so many deaths. I think there were like 3,000 deaths associated with the earthquake. And just so much was happening and they were just completely overwhelmed. The city was in shambles and they needed a better solution. And so they decided to essentially evict all of the existing cemeteries and move any of the new dead and the old dead outside of the city with cemeteries officially closing uh, sometime around like 1912. And this meant that these bodies all had to be moved. There were a ton of bodies in San Francisco and now all of them, because all of the cemeteries were closing down, were moved. So it's not just like any new bodies were sent elsewhere. All of the old existing bodies also needed to be dug up and transferred. How did Colma become that city? (laughs) Well, I I don't really know. I think that Perhaps it was a convenient place because it was along the railroad line. And I just feel so sad. Maybe yeah. it's like your enthusiasm
2: of how like they were starting up and they were so excited about, yes, we're going to make it. And
1: now I just feel yeah. so. I know. I picture Colma as like the the kid in class who's just pretending to take notes, hoping to not be called on, like looking down. And then San Francisco was like, it's you. It's you, Colma. You shall take the debt. I didn't ask for this. And they're like, what about our (laughs) plants? No, forget agriculture. You guys are tending to the dead. Wow. Okay, so all of the cemeteries closed, all of the dead had to be escorted out of the city. And that meant that these bodies, all 150,000 of them were to be packed up and moved outside of the city. And this happened between... The years of 1920, or the majority of it happened between 1920 and 1941. It cost families $10 per grave, or per body, essentially, to move, which wasn't cheap in 1910. So anyone who paid the fee for their loved one was then given a new burial site with a marker. But those who could not afford it, or just chose not to pay, their loved ones were reburied in a mass grave. You know what's crazy to me is that these
2: families probably already had to pay yeah, they already for the first funeral, yes. for the first service, for the first burial. And now it's like, hey, actually, now you have to pay again, even though you did nothing wrong. And
1: that's when I would say, I already paid you my tax money, bud. You do it. Yeah. I'd get like real, real cranky little townsmen like, nope, <laughs> I already paid. This is your choice. You made this decision. <laughs> Don't charge me $10. <laughs> I'm getting cheaper as I get older. <laughs> you know, it but it's age. ridiculous. Yeah, that's yeah. it's crazy. So anyway, that happened, and this was one of the largest relocations of the dead in history. Wow. Of course, they choose Colma, and Colma's all upset because they had thriving businesses. I'm upset for Colma. Yeah. I mean, Colma just, like, really got the shaft here. Although now, I'd say it's pretty cool to be like, yeah, I live in Colma. Yeah, historically-wise, yeah. Yeah. So San Francisco's like, no, don't worry, Colma. We will give you plenty of jobs in the cemetery. We need help with tending to the land and with the graves and Mm -hmm. with the just cemetery duties, the transportation of bodies from the city. So for a few decades, the town really was about the dead and a ton of people took up jobs and kind of shifted gears and just was focusing on uh, the transportation of all of the deceased from San Francisco Mm -hmm. now to Colma and building out just so many cemeteries within the town. But more recently they have opened up more retail businesses. So there are car dealerships now. There are some shops that have popped up within like the cemetery area. If you look online, if you look on Google Maps, Mm -hmm. which I always do. Of course. When I say, oh, there's stuff going on now. Okay, it's mostly cemeteries. There's like three roads. (laughs) It appears that there are like three roads that have stuff on them. So mostly cemeteries, but they do have a number of living residents. They have around 2,000 people with the dead greatly outnumbering the living residents and occupying 73% of the land. Whoa. Currently, they are still taking bodies. About 7,000 corpses are received in Colma per month. Per month? Per month, yes. Whoa. So the number of dead continue to rise. There's a pet cemetery as well called Pets Rest that holds over 13,000 animals. There are also a bunch of unmarked graves of Alcatraz inmates. Whoa. Many, actually, this is really creepy. Many of whom are believed to be buried underneath the Cypress golf course, which backs up to the Cypress Lawn Cemetery. So you're like there golfing, being like, oh, it's so quiet here. Wonderful. Good golf. No, there are Alcatraz inmates underneath your feet. Wow. Wow. Uh, In total, there are 1.5 million bodies (gasps) buried in Colma across 17 cemeteries. 2,000 living, 13,000 animals, 1.5 million human bodies. Whoa. So 1.5 million opportunities for paranormal activity. Whoa. This is crazy. Isn't it? So when we were talking about, uh, we had done haunted mortuaries, I think was the topic when I I'd been talking about the chapel in San Francisco and then was talking about how like they then had to shift and send all their bodies to Colma right. I wasn't thinking that it was 1.5 million. I thought that this was a town that had like, I don't know, like 8,000 right. bodies in it, but nope. That is wild. Crazy. And so of course there have been quite a few paranormal experiences in Colma. That's kind of a given, although we've talked about it before, oftentimes cemeteries and grave sites are some of the most quiet when it comes to paranormal mm-hmm. activity. Pretty peaceful, restful. Everybody's pretty quiet, but there are some things that happen here. And given the number of people who are buried here, I think it's it's only acceptable that we have plenty of ghosts and, yeah. and strange occurrences. There's also a lot of strange activity that is due to the large number of "quote unquote" strange people committing stranger acts. But there's plenty of paranormal activity. As well. There's a police sergeant. His name is Tim Mackey, and he's done a few interviews regarding just the various ongoings and activity, whether it be by people or possibly spirits within Coma. Mm-hmm. So he has spent plenty of time patrolling Koma's cemeteries and has seen some odd things. He's seen people dancing on graves. He's seen people yelling at graves in an attempt to raise the dead, Yeah. Raised their loved one again. He's found couples doing not things that aren't supposed to be legal. You mean the horizontal dance with no pants? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) They do that. He's also found the remains of seances, candles put in a circle around a grave, pieces of chicken thrown throughout. So he's seen a lot of stuff. One thing he also saw was he came upon a human skull that had turned up in the branches of a tree at the Holy Cross Cemetery. So The Holy Cross Cemetery is one of the 17 in mm-hmm. Colma. And he looked around and he couldn't find any other body parts. So thinking that perhaps someone had, you know, robbed a grave, he looked for signs of disturbed ground, but also found nothing. So none of the grave sites had been disturbed. There was nothing except for a skull here and it had been freshly planted. And so, yes, this could have been done by a person, But it's weird because, I mean, maybe it was taken from another cemetery, but it definitely didn't come from the Holy Cross Cemetery. So it's very creepy, though it could be explained by human intervention. Or murder. Or murder. Yep. That's happened here. One of the most famous instances of paranormal activity happened back in 1997, so not that long ago. At the Olivet Memorial Park, there's a pine tree there. And this pine tree is in the cemetery. And something strange happened in 1997, which made news, headlines. And this is why this is one of the more famous instances of quote-unquote paranormal activity that happened here. So the sap from this pine tree leaked out and painted an image that looked like Virgin Mary. So people believed that this was a sign warning everyone to... You know, stop disturbing the dead, stop doing things here, let people rest. But instead, it only attracted so many spectators, and like hundreds of people came to see this tree, to see Mm -hmm. the image of Virgin Mary. They decorated the tree and the surrounding area with wreaths and memorials. So, was this paranormal? Perhaps. Was this a moment of Mother Nature just, you know, creating a pattern that we recognize? Perhaps. But. While Virgin Mary is one of the more notable moments of Coma, I'm here to tell you that it gets much juicier and much scarier. Ooh. This is, I think, the scariest of the experiences of paranormal activity in Coma. But a police officer had been driving by Woodlawn Cemetery one night. Mm -hmm. And when he drove by, he noticed that there was a man at the front of the cemetery, like kind of by the gates, by the entrance. And the police officer, he first noticed. The man's eyes, and they appeared really sunken, almost almost dead looking. And Ooh. then after, he noticed blood, and the blood was dripping from the man's ear to the man's mouth. Oh. And so concerned, the officer quickly flips a U-turn, and he stops to go stop next to the man and to help him. But in the few seconds it took the officer to turn his car around, this man had just vanished, disappeared. Oh. And it is a cemetery, and these cemeteries are very well lit. The streets are well lit. This place is not very easy to hide in. I mean, graves are pretty low for the most part, and it's wide open land. So for this guy to just vanish, the police officer was very nervous, a a bit creeped out. Rightfully so. Yes. This encounter is often referred to as the Colma zombie encounter. Oh, Which I'm like, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking that like the police officer maybe caught an image of, you know, a spectral image of a corpse. Maybe someone was confused and was appearing as he did when he died. Maybe from an accident, some trauma to his head given, you know, his bleeding ears. But other people are like, no, it could have been some guy just trying to stretch his legs from the grave. A little walking zombie. Or a vampire. Sabrina, yes. There you go. Always here to solve the mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so many visitors, including the Coleman Police Department, have seen shadows move through the cemetery and the shadows will then quickly disappear, like darting between graves. The fog often rolls in. It's San Francisco, so it's pretty foggy in that area. And then things get really creepy and really eerie when the fog comes in. And then one paranormal sighting really takes the cake. So there is a gargoyle like creature. That sits on top of tombstones, and there have been numerous sightings of this creature perched on top of a grave, seemingly a part of the grave, and then taking flight and hopping between tombstones. And so many people have seen this: people who are visiting the cemetery, who know nothing about that, have seen it. People who are actual residents of Coma have seen it. It's a like communal sighting that has happened time and time again by people who had no clue that it was a thing. It kind of sounds like a cryptid. Yeah, it almost reminds me of like the Jersey Devil. Yeah. Just thinking about like the the actual like shape and descriptive features of the Jersey Devil meets gargoyle. It's kind of similar. Right. I need to look at that map of all the cryptids in the US and see if there's one around the San Francisco area that maybe resembles a bit of a gargoyle like shape. Yeah.
2: Let's see if I can find anything while you continue.
1: Yeah. Oh, but so creepy. So creepy. It kind of reminds me of the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's paranormal, but it's less ghostly and much more encrypted and weird, maybe interdimensional species type of thing. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, sorry, off topic. What? But everybody needs to go watch. Yes, it's a $4 rental on Amazon Prime, but you have to go watch Missing 411. What is it? There are books that we've talked about before, like way back when, I think when we first started the podcast. But basically, there is this man who investigates odd disappearances that kind of fall within almost like weird circumstances, maybe paranormal, maybe not, maybe murder, but like mostly paranormal. But they all kind of align and, and have a lot of the same characteristics in the disappearances. And my family and I, we watched both. We watched the Missing 411 children and we watched the Missing 411 hunters. You have to go watch the hunters. (laughs) There is an entire, there are so many like weird interdimensional species and cryptids like kind of like woven through. And there's one scene where they're interviewing hunters that used to have, I think it was like, it was in California. I think it was in Northern California. Mm -hmm. But they had basically set up camp made their own tree fort somewhere and it was on a national park they had gone undetected for like years and years and years and the same hunters would go back to the same spot every single year oh. and they actually recorded like back in like the oh. 70s and 80s they recorded the sounds that they would hear at night from these like unknown creatures and there's actual footage that has been no one's been able to disprove the footage it appears oh to gosh. be completely legitimate completely original and you hear it and they play like a 15 second clip in the documentary, it is unreal. We watched it twice. We were (laughs) like, what is this? Okay. Now I know what I'm doing after we record. Yeah. You've got to watch it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I can't believe I didn't say that at the top of the episode. I'm glad you said it. Yeah. Okay. Well, back to Colma. There have also been plenty of instances of like crime and murder, just like what you said, Sabrina. In 1997, a 24-year-old sex worker from Russia had been dumped in the Serbian cemetery, having been killed by blunt force trauma by a heavy object. And her murder has still not been solved. The case is still open. There's a sergeant named Pete Renoy, and he keeps on trying to solve her murder. He keeps her picture on his wall. He's haunted by her death. He knows that he needs to solve this crime to have a bit of closure and a bit of peace. And so there's it's still an open case and an active case. What year was it? That was in 1997. When was Francois? There's that serial killer the book The Spider and the Fly is about. Who? Oh, was he was he the one that would pick up sex workers? Yeah, I need to read that too. Let's add that to the book list.
2: It's really good. Kendall Francois. Sorry.
1: When did he operate?
2: Kendall Francois, ninety six to ninety eight. Oh, I wonder. Oh no, sorry. I, I don't know why I thought he was San Francisco. He was Poughkeepsie, New York. Oh, well, close.
1: Someone else out there might have some
2: ideas. I thought I solved another mystery today. (laughs)
1: You're solving, you already solved one, the vampire. All right, so I'm just going to hang up my coat. I'm done. No more mysteries for me? No more. Not today. hit quota for today. (laughs) You earned yourself a nickel. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Okay, so also another woman had been murdered in the late 1980s. And for some time, her murder had also been unsolved. But then an already convicted murderer serving time in New Orleans confessed to her murder. The details mm-hmm. of the crime matched perfectly. And I don't know why, when I was writing this, I don't know why I didn't look up who it was, but I didn't. But now I need to know. We could take a second if you need to look it up. I mean, if I type in like San Francisco murder, there's going to be nothing too hard. Yeah. I'll look it up later. Okay. We can post it on the Facebook page. Yeah. Okay. So Colma, being a relatively small town, it, Still occasionally has death and murder and tragedy and crime. So the Coma PD continue to patrol, hoping to bring a bit of peace to both the living and the dead. And if you're looking to head to Coma, you can. The town does have some shops and residents and people visiting their loved ones in the cemetery. So it's mm-hmm. mostly good vibes. And actually, during Halloween, this is so cute. So Coma's very well lit, like I said, because mm-hmm. there's a bunch of cemeteries that have all the paths through them and whatnot so it's a it's a really well-lit town and the colma police during halloween they'll post up like throughout the town in their police cars and they'll hand out candy to all the kids oh that's cool yeah imagine being a kid though like oh god how creepy and you're like walking through cemeteries to go from like one stop to the next to gather your candy wow so fun that's a really cool tradition yes yes There are also plenty of celebrities buried in Colma, plenty of local celebrities to San Francisco, but some of the more widely known celebrities are Levi Strauss, a.k.a. the creator of Levi Clothing Company. Wow. Abigail Folger, the coffee heiress and one of the victims of the Tate murders done by the Manson family, which you covered in episode 99. Look at us. We've been doing a good job of now in our research Going
2: through, making sure we find the episode that we talked about it in.
1: Right. I Proud know. It's enough people ask, and then I'm like, I don't I remember. I don't remember. So now, doing the research ahead of time. Good for us. Um, also, Phineas Gage is buried there. Oh. He had been working on the railroad, the Rutland and Burlington mm-hmm. Railroad, back in 1848 in Vermont, when an iron rod went through his skull and brain. And he survived. And his case helped us to understand the brain's role in determining personality and emotion regulation. And he's talked about in pretty much wow. every intro to psych class. And I always get so excited because he was in Vermont when it happened. I mean, I think it was from like Grafton, New Hampshire or something like that. But he's my favorite like psych case for from like intro to psych just because I feel like I have a connection to him. But also, I mean, it, it's amazing. He had an entire pole go through his skull into his like frontal lobe and survived
2: things like that just blow my mind there was a case of a guy who the two parts of his brain he lived and they were separated like usually they're connected but they were just like separated completely and he lived but he just kind of like had the obviously his like functions were very different
1: how does that happen
2: i don't know i think
1: because you use what i know oh my gosh i have to look this up because your synapses fire from one side to the other, right? I can't remember how his brain functioned differently. I had to find the podcast. I'll send you the podcast. I'll find it. Okay, yeah, find it. Correct me if I'm wrong, people out there. But I once was told, and I'm pretty sure I was. I learned this in in grad school. The reason that women tend to be a lot more like verbal, whereas men tend to take more time to call upon like words or responses, mm-hmm. is because our brains, it, when it comes to language, will both will fire like. Both ways in males, it only fires one way at a time, so it's slightly slower. So that's why we have that personality difference. I didn't know that when it comes to language, it's about like the way that our brain actually responds to like language and. Interesting. Yeah. That's the city of Colma. And if you're wanting to go and visit and explore the graves and look for, you know, the celebrity graves or. Try to find the oldest grave in the cemetery. It's also recommended by locals that you head to Molly's after, which is a historic Irish pub that opened in 1927. It once operated as a stagecoach stop, then a brothel. It had been in the Prohibition era. It was a speakeasy. It served drinks once to evil Knievel himself. What? So there's plenty of history right there in that pub, and it's their local pub. So head on over there after you're done perusing the cemeteries. I just am so mesmerized by history. And
2: I never was growing up how different people's lives were and just the course of history, how it changes things. And yeah, like at the time, they probably were so distraught by the fact that their town was going to be turned into a mass burial grave. Yeah. But then now that is
1: the defining piece of That town. Mm -hmm. Without it, it wouldn't be as notable. No. And the amount of bodies and the amount of work it takes to tend to 17 cemeteries and to like deal with the transportation and the prep and all of that, I imagine it brought plenty of jobs to the town as well.
2: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right, listener stories.
1: Okay, let's hear your
2: listener story. This is from Angela. It's called Psychics, Paranormal Town, and Possibly TB from an Old Asylum? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <gasps> Hey ladies, I just wanted to start off by saying how much I love your podcast and how much it has saved me from my boring drives to work, which is an hour and 20 minutes of driving. Yuck. Yuck. I've always been pretty interested in the paranormal, but a few years ago I began really diving into the world of spirits and light witchcraft. I have many stories that I can include in this email, but to spare you all of the reading I will only tell a few, but I promise they're good. The first one is short and happened when I was young, maybe around age seven or eight. My grandma lived with my family, and I would be frequently left with her while my parents were working. And my grandma and I had formed this joke between each other, why on earth I'm not sure. When I would hear her in another room, I would sneak up on her and ask, Who is there? And she would reply, The boogeyman. One day, I heard her doing dishes in the kitchen, so as per usual, I hid behind the corner and asked the unforgiving question. And she replied with the usual, The boogeyman. So I jumped around the corner but no one was there. Oh. And I am certain it was her voice that responded to me, but she was in the backyard gardening. I never spoke of the incident, but needless to say, I no longer wish to know who was there. So a couple more stories from this year. A couple months ago, I had started noticing that the clock in our bathroom would stop working when I showered and did my makeup, and that it would start working again once I left the room. The clock was not old and we had changed the batteries, but it still continued to happen. My significant other had been researching and read that if you have a strong aura, you can cause electronic malfunctions. We thought maybe that was possible since their phone would never connect to the car when I was in it. And I discussed it with my mother and she told me that before she had gotten married, she had a psychic reading party and the psychic was unable to read my grandmother, a daughter of a Czechoslovakian gypsy. So we thought possibly something had been passed down to me, but we weren't sure what it was. So I started listening to podcasts about intuition and each podcast I listened to was centered around having enough time. A week or so later, I had a customer come up to me at work and grab my hand. She said that something told her to come talk to me. She said that I needed to slow down and realize that I was right where I needed to be. She also said that something was giving me a sign that I needed to slow down. And after realizing that time seemed to be the theme being played out, the clock started working again. So I guess I had realized what the sign was for and everything went back to normal. The last story. I'm going to try to keep names out of the story because I don't want to offend anyone publicly. Here it goes. So in November, my significant other and I moved into a home with my parents, which they had just moved into last September. It's on a farm in a very small town, and my significant other and I had noticed very quickly that something seemed off with the town. We learned from a local that the town actually housed the largest state home for the feeble minded. When it was shut down in 1990, the residents were practically set free into the town with no help, many of them including the residents that had been there for many years and didn't really know how to fend for themselves in society. After further investigation, we had found that the only left standing part of the home was the cemetery, which mostly included numbered plots and broken headstones. A significant other and I had set out one day to find this property, which let me tell you was near impossible and took almost two hours of driving and a mile hike. It seems like someone doesn't want this place to be found. We walked around the grounds and took pictures and found more information. There had been a smallpox outbreak and a tuberculosis outbreak, and the place had seen everything of the early 1900s. Soon after our visit to this place, I found myself having some odd issues. I was in a deep, deep depression. I was having coughing fits, chest pains, and a really hard time breathing. And I was having strange dreams and mood swings, and I felt like something was not right at all. I was in a very dark place. I had thought possibly something had attached to me from the state home grounds, so I began trying to cleanse myself. I bought a white sage stick and and saged myself to try to rid myself and my home of any evil or unwanted spirits. My sage stick then somehow disappeared, and although I felt better than I had before, I wanted to make sure I kept anything unwanted at bay. So I started crafting my own sage sticks with herbs and crystals, hoping that being handmade by myself, it would be more powerful. And I've been somewhat at peace since, but now I'm very cautious about going to haunted places and the mindset that I am in upon entering those places. And then she said, keep an eye on your P.O. box because I may be sending a sage stick your way to protect you from all the paranormal you encounter daily. See you on the other side, Angela.
1: Wow. Okay. First of all, the boogeyman story? So creepy.
2: So creepy, because it's like, what if the real boogeyman was there?
1: I know. And it's also I wonder how they ended up how they ended up just like getting in that sort of routine. Because it's it's a little creepy. It is but it reminds me of like you
2: know when you're a kid and you're scared of the boogeyman, and you cry to your parent or something, and they come in. And they're like, "The boogeyman isn't here." And I just imagine her grandma having like a sense of humor, being like, "Oh no, the boogeyman's here."
1: It's the boogeyman. Yeah, like yeah. just
2: kind of goofing off, and then that it became
1: right. We're making a game of it to make it less scary yeah. because you just play it all the time, and it's like, oh okay, well I feel good and it feels fun now. But holy crap! And it sounds okay. So she heard her doing dishes too. So it wasn't just like she said who was there and then heard her grandmother say the boogeyman and then jumped out and her grandmother wasn't there. Like she heard the whole like imitation of- The presence, yeah. Yeah, which is so weird. Right. Which also makes me wonder too if her grandmother is sensitive. Maybe it wasn't a spirit mimicking her at all. Maybe her own grandmother who was outside gardening has such a strong energy that perhaps she was thinking about them Talking about the boogeyman or, like, their relationship or, like, even thinking about, like, oh, I need to do the dishes next. And somehow I wonder if a part of her, like, projected. Oh, that's interesting. And was there for that moment. Yeah.
2: Huh. I wonder, because it said that she said that she hadn't, like, talked about the incident since. But I wonder if she talked about it with her grandma and if she had what her grandma had to say about it, you know? Yeah. Well, tell us, Angela, if you chatted with your grandma, if she knows what happened. Also, I know she, like, left the name of the town out for a reason, but I really want to know what town it is because i wonder if there are like ghost stories about it
1: oh yeah i know and there was so much death with smallpox yeah. and tuberculosis and
2: yeah i mean if you think of like waverly hills asylum it's one of the most haunted places probably in the world and it was a tuberculosis hospital
1: right interesting okay so we have a couple context clues which is that it's a mile hike and it takes a few hours from wherever Angela lives to get there. <laughs> so. so it took two hours. So
2: why don't we just like each of us start on our own sides of Google Maps?
1: Yeah. Like search and rescue us. So I'll just hold hands across the U.S. And yeah. Just walk. We'll find it. We'll find it. We'll stop every time that we get to a haunted spot and then we'll all collect and be like, oh, this is cool. And then we'll all hold hands again, stretch out and continue on. Honestly, that's a really fun video game. We should invent that. We should. Been playing a lot of Mario Party. Oh, have you? I need, like, I downloaded The Sims and then I got frustrated because they didn't have the, <laughs> the right tile, so. Cheat codes. <laughs> yeah, Rosebud, whatever that cheat code is. Okay, and this is from James. Hey, ladies, longtime listener, first-time emailer. I'm originally from LA but moved to San Diego to attend law school. As much as LA will always be home, I've decided to settle down in San Diego where I've met a gal and found a great job at a prominent law firm. Good for you, James. Let me just say that I absolutely love the podcast. Listening to you two during my morning and afternoon commute makes traffic more bearable. Thank you. I've even turned a few of my coworkers onto TGOG who are currently binge listening to catch up. Keep up the great work. This ghostly tale stems from my time in the Marine Corps. I joined when I was 18, gosh, that was about 10 years ago now, and left the Marines when I was 23. During my time in the Marines, I completed two combat deployments to Afghanistan and was stationed on Camp Hansen in Okinawa, Japan and 29 Palms, California. But my first duty station was Okinawa. As a lowly private first class PFC, I received many of the menial and tedious duties as one does when new to the military. As I moved up the ranks, my duties and responsibilities became more enjoyable and fulfilling, but that's neither here nor there. As a new PFC, I was assigned to an infantry platoon where I had the seasoned combat veteran of a sergeant or just referred to him by his rank sergeant. He had been through four or five deployments in his then six-year career as a Marine and was only 24 years old. Anyway, Sergeant and I were on gate guard duty, aka on post, one evening, a task that every Marine must do, which consists a lot of sitting and waiting and a little walking around from time to time. During our time on post this particular evening, Sergeant begins to tell me about a particular incident during one of his first times on post at gate three on Camp Hansen a point of entry onto the base that is now closed. We were at a different gate. I can't remember which one, but it wasn't gate three. According to Sergeant, on this particular incident, he was patrolling around the area of gate three as a good gate guarding Marine does. It was just past midnight and Sergeant's guard duty buddy took the first sleeping shift. As Sergeant was patrolling the immediate vicinity, he noticed an individual slowly walking up to the gate. As the individual shuffled closer, the individual became more clearer. It was a person dressed up in World War II fatigues. Sergeant told me that he was bewildered and confused at the sight of this, but he didn't feel threatened or afraid. The individual shuffled closer until Sergeant told him to stop. Upon halting in his tracks, the individual, with a perplexed look on his face, replies in perfect English, Hey Mac, I just need a light. Sure enough, Sergeant noticed the cigarette dangling from the individual's lips, assessing that there was no real threat here. Sergeant obliged the individual and lit his cigarette. Before the individual left, Sergeant asked him, Hey, are you a part of the reenactment group or something? The individual simply chuckled and walked <laughs> away, smoking his cigarette. Whoa. As the morning came, Sergeant's relief gate guards came to replace him and his guard duty buddy. As they were being relieved from guard duty, one of the replacement Marine guards asked Sergeant if he saw the apparition that roams gate three. Sergeant told me that initially, upon hearing the question, nothing came to mind. The only thing that stood out was the individual in the Marine World War II fatigues who asked for a light. Sergeants relieving Marine Guard, then replied, Yeah, dude, that's him. He was killed during the Battle of Okinawa during the war. Didn't you see the blood on his uniform? According to Sergeant, he told me he immediately became sick to his stomach upon the realization of what he witnessed. Upon asking other Marines around the base and in the battalion, Sergeant discovered that Gate 3 is notoriously haunted and that Marines have even been reprimanded for refusing or disobeying orders to stand guard there. The rumor provides that because no Marine will stand guard duty at Gate 3, the command was forced to close it permanently. Well, ladies, I hope you enjoyed the story. I enjoyed sharing it. Continue to keep up the great work and thanks for reading. Regards, James.
2: Okay, it's amazing that the ghost was so self-aware. He just, like, chuckled at the sergeant, was like, oh, oh, you think I'm just dressed up and portraying?
1: Yeah, I know. No, no, no. Like, for some reason, also, too, didn't, didn't recognize that sergeant was not wearing clothes of the same era. But I think he did know.
2: I think he, like, knew that sergeant wasn't... You think? Yeah, it seemed like he's just the ghost that roams this land and has seen the different ages of the military and he's just like, you're new here, kid.
1: I know. Even saying, hey, Mac, like using that. It's so interesting. Yeah. An old greeting. Love it. How crazy. The fact, I love the story so much. Number one, because it scares the shit out of me. (laughs) And number two, because the bravest people in the world are also getting the shit scared out of them by ghosts, which makes me feel a little bit better about me. We had this feeling when we read that listener story where there was a spirit that was presenting itself in Native American dress and it had thrown a knife that like had actually- Oh man, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. And so I was thinking the same thing. Of course, this isn't like a dangerous situation in terms of throwing weapons, but just the fact that it was a spirit that physically walked up, presented itself in such a solid manner and was Mm -hmm. able to speak so clearly that the Marine thought it was a real person, had an actual cigarette- or phantom cigarette dangling out of its lips, the, the other guy reached out and lit? Yeah. Is that not the most wild? I, it's so cool. But
2: it also, like, the fact that he didn't realize it was a ghost until so much later.
1: And it makes me wonder how many people out there have had, like, kind of just weird interactions that maybe were just with ghosts doing the same sort of thing and they had no idea. I think about that all the time. Right? Because it takes so many series of events for you to basically get confirmation that what was weird and what you saw that was off was actually, like, truly, truly off. But can I just say
2: something that bothers me? Yes. And it hasn't happened in a long time because I've been inside for a very long time. Like, people ignore me. Yeah, I'm aware. How is it fair that people don't ignore this ghost, but people ignore me? (laughs) Like, how? Why?
1: That doesn't make sense.
2: Like oh a ghost gosh. has a stronger
1: presence than I do. I, or maybe you're just so powerful that it freaks people out. I don't think that's the case at they all. can't handle the vibes. I'm a little like ticked off. It's so interesting. I don't know why that happens to you. I see, I see you clearly. Thank you so much. <laughs> but you also see ghosts. So <laughs> I don't know if I can trust you. That is true. <laughs> well, guys, you have ghost stories. Please write them to us if you're experiencing any ghostly activities right now while we're all sheltering in place. Like now is a great time to write them up and let us know what's going on.
2: I like that you're saying write them to us cuz so I'm just now imagining people like taking a quill pen just like writing it on parchment paper and then stamping it shut with a
1: wax-candled seal. We only accept listener stories that are sent via snail mail in disappearing ink.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: <gasps> that would be so fun. Wouldn't it? We get a block. We should light. start like a pen pal thing with disappearing ink. Just you and I. Yeah. Anyone. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Starting
2: book club back and then we're gonna send each other secret messages. All right. Yeah, send them to us. Actually email them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com.
1: We have a variety of ways to support the podcast. The number one thing to do is to rate interview on iTunes because it helps Bump us up and keep us in the top 200, which helps other people find us. Yeah. Or if you're unconcerned about us being in the top 200, you can just go out and tell other people, just like James did, to listen to our podcast, and that really helps. Yeah, you can also support us by buying merch or
2: joining us on our social media, on our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, any of those. And you can also support us by supporting us on Patreon if you feel so inclined. We wanted to say thank you to those people who already do support us on Patreon. And we will
1: see you on the other side. Very soon.